Father, as we open your word, please open our hearts to hear and to receive, to be encouraged and challenged, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, to have the way we think and live be changed, to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Aaron and I bought our first home many years ago. We bought it at a point when we didn't have a lot of money and weren't even sure we could afford to get a home. But we knew it was a good financial investment. We had some really good friends who lived in a particular neighborhood and we wanted to move to that neighborhood. Our friends made more money than we did. So it was difficult to locate a home in this neighborhood that we would be able to afford. And we found one, we thought. We went into the home and I think it is probably one of the ugliest homes on God's green earth. You walk into this home and the walls were kind of a golden color and you could see that somebody would just stand by them smoking. Um, there was a room uh, and it came right off the kitchen that you look at this room and one, you're not sure what the room was for. It was probably a dining area, but it was an odd room, odd shape and and one wall had wood panels, but not like wall wood panels, like floor panels. And they went at an angle up. So you looked at it and, and you kind of got dizzy. You're like, am I supposed to? It was weird. Um, it was so bad that we thought we could lowball them. And so we tried and they rejected it. However, they could not sell that home. They put the thing eventually and made it a rental. And we thought, okay, now we can get it. And so we really lowballed them, and they took it, and we got our first home. We were so excited, and we were in the neighborhood of our friends. We'd been praying for this. We were so excited to get this home. God had blessed us with a home that had like a 40-year-old air conditioning unit, <laughs> and it had issues, I mean serious foundation issues that eventually we would have to put pillars in because we live in Texas and the soil shifts like crazy. And we ended up having to do stuff to the walls and the floors and the plumbing. And then, I mean, it was, it was God's amazing blessing that just kept on giving. <laughs> but here's the thing I want us to recognize. That is actually how the blessing of God often works. That is often how answered prayer works. That is Mary's experience. Something phenomenal happens. But just because it happens doesn't mean there aren't significant challenges that might come with it. So think with me for a moment before we dive into the text. Here is Mary's situation. She has just been visited by an angel. That's pretty awesome. I've never had that happen. I think it would be incredible. I think I'd be telling that story over and over again the rest of my life. She gets visited by an angel, and not just an angel, but Gabriel the archangel. <laughs> and she's told she's going to have a child, which is an incredible thing for anyone. It was really incredible in the first century. 
because having a child was the status for women. Not only that, she was going to get to give birth to a really, really special child that everyone in Israel had been waiting for. Her ancestors had been waiting for. He was going to be incredible. It is a huge, enormous blessing. And yet, she gets the news, and the angel leaves. Who does she tell? I mean, just think about her situation for a moment. Let's go talk to my fiancé. God got me pregnant. How do you take that? Go tell your parents. Now, if you think parents today might respond poorly, in that particular culture, that child would likely be ostracized, kicked out. Because there's no way the parents are going, oh, okay, God got you pregnant, no big deal. No, they're going to think what? You did something very immoral. She has nobody to talk to. She's in this situation where she is probably, again, a teenage girl. She is freaked out. And it's going to come with long-term consequences. Because what we'll find out as we talk about Joseph later is that how does that impact his reputation? How does that impact his business? There's all kinds of things she has to deal with. This is an enormous blessing that comes with really significant challenges. And we get a glimpse of it right away in this scene. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, page 1457. Page 1457, Luke chapter 1. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. She has just gotten the information from the angel. She's just said, let it be to me as you've said. And now she immediately packs up and she hurries off to see Elizabeth. I want to say this to us this morning, and this is my message. God's blessing in our life, and whether you are Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, Paul, God's blessing in our life will often, if not always, also come with challenges and struggles. It won't just be, boom, everything is awesome. You're now happy forever and there's no more challenges. It's going to be something where God has answered a prayer that is awesome. Now, there's going to be things that come with that. And I want to say two things. Here's the first. Because that is true, we need other people. We need encouragement. We need people who can empathize with us. We need people who can walk with us. What is Mary doing? She is hurrying 
to the one person who might understand. Why? Because she too had a miraculous birth. She has already gone through the stigma. She has spent decades being judged by her community because she could not have a child. Her husband has likely gone through a stigma because he should have divorced her and gotten a wife that could give him a child and he stuck with her. She's already gone through it and now she's experienced something amazing and she's basically gone into hiding for five months. What does Mary do? She packs up and she hurries to the one person who might get it. The one person who would understand. The one person that she might be able to let everything down and be vulnerable with. I mean, you can imagine her coming to Elizabeth and being like, I am so excited and yet. But how many people can you say to, I'm so excited about what God is doing and yet. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. I have some doubts. We're not always comfortable saying that to everybody, but we need somebody. We need some people in our life that we can be honest, open, and vulnerable with because we're all going to have challenges and struggles. Do you have that? She goes to Elizabeth, and it makes perfect sense. Who do you go to? Who can you go to? Who will you go to? Who will you ask for help? Anybody in here struggle with asking for help? Anybody in here struggle with being vulnerable? With actually saying to somebody, I trust and yet? We need to have people in our life we can do that with. I told you last year, and I'm going to tell you this year, and I'll tell you every other year that I'm here. My family watches a bunch of Christmas movies during the Advent season, and we just re-watch Christmas movies every year. Um, we look forward to it. We all, like, list them all out, and then we find the ones we're going to watch. And on Friday night, we watched Home Alone. Um, if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It's such a good movie. But I saw something in it that I'd not seen before. And that tends to happen in some ways, but here's the thing I noticed. The movie is called Home Alone, and yet all of the characters can't do it alone. As you go through the movie, they all need help from other people. The parents, at the very beginning, their alarm doesn't go off because the power goes out. Which, as my wife said, we're watching it. That would never happen today because we all have iPhones and, you know, our alarms would still go off. But then they wake up late. And in order to give everybody out the door, they have to go, you do this and you do this. And they go to the oldest child. You go do the count, head count. We need to make sure all the kids are here. And they can't do it all. And then the premise of the show is they leave Kevin, their son, behind when they fly away for vacation. So he's there alone. And when they figure it out, they have to get back. Well, in order to get back, they try to convince somebody to give up their plane ticket. Once the mom gets to a certain airport, she needs another plane, but they can't find one. So then it's a bunch of polka musicians that load her into a truck and take her to her son. Everybody needs help. Across the street is an old man that everybody has judged as a serial killer. And yet, there's this beautiful scene in the church where we learn that he's not talked to his son for a long, long time. Because of an argument. 
And now he's afraid that his son will reject him. He needs the help of Kevin to tell him, don't be afraid, you need to do this. What's the worst that could happen? And even Kevin, the primary character who seems so competent, who takes out all of the thieves, and I mean, he's just doing all these amazing things, and yet at the end, he gets caught. And if it's not for the serial killer neighbor who comes and knocks out the thieves, Kevin wouldn't have made it. They all need help. And Kevin has this one line right toward the beginning. His family's all treating him poorly, and he's just getting all grumpy and upset, and he's standing at the top of the stairs. And he goes, when I'm grown and married, I'm living alone. And we all laugh at that because it's so ludicrous. It's a little kid. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that when you get married, the very definition is you're joining your life with somebody else and you're not going to be alone. You're going to live with someone. And in fact, depending on how things go, you may end up living with four children, two dogs, and a cat, if you are me. (laughs) There is no alone. We're not made to be alone. We may want to be like Kevin and at times think, I can just do this. I don't need anybody else. You're wrong. We need each other. We need people in our lives, but we need to be willing to actually ask for the help, to be vulnerable, to put ourselves out there. And that's one side of it. The other side, we need to be willing to be the other. We need to be willing to be the one who will empathize and listen and come alongside and help and maybe even inconvenience ourselves for the sake of somebody else. Here's what happens with Elizabeth. Go back into the text. At that time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I can just imagine as she's going how nervous she is. She just, I think she hurries because she doesn't want to run into her parents. She doesn't run, run into Joseph. She doesn't want to know. Like, what am I going to say? I don't want to. So she just packs up and takes off. And she's making this trip and the whole time going, this is the right person, but what am I going to say? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been super nervous? You know you need to tell somebody and talk to somebody, but you're not sure what you're going to say. And here she goes. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed. So Mary shows up. She greets Elizabeth. She never even has the chance to have to spill her guts. She, I would argue, based on what we see in the previous story, in faith, goes to her relative. She goes to get help. She goes to get encouragement. And God meets her through Elizabeth. And Elizabeth exclaims just the right things. Blessed are you among women. You can imagine all the things she's going to have to struggle with, what the stigma would be, what people will think about, everything else. Blessed are you among women. Sorry, I have to pull the Bible a little further away so I can read it. And blessed is the child you will hear, you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon 
as the sound of, the gre- of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And I love this. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. That's right where we left, Mary. Belief. Last week, I said she comes from a place of belief. And here is Elizabeth saying, blessed are you who believe this. And because Elizabeth does this, something incredible happens. I want you to jump back for a minute and look at verse 38. Mary just received incredible news from the angel about whom she will bear. And yet her response is really muted. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Not, woohoo! <laughs> yes! I cannot believe this. This is amazing. I'm rejoicing. And, and it's because I think she's taking it all in. And she is both excited and yet nervous and afraid. And she doesn't know what to do. And so she goes to her relative. And her relative encourages her and says all the right things to her. Doesn't judge her, but instead lifts her up. And here's what happens. Go back to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now she's rejoicing. Now that she's come to somebody who is walking with her, who can encourage and empathize, who can say, it's okay, it's good, it's wonderful. This is a great thing. Now, all of a sudden, it's not muted anymore. This is called the Song of Mary. She is now singing. She's rejoicing. She can accept all of this. That's what we need to be willing to be for others. Those who will sit with, walk with, be with. And it won't always be easy. So as I think about Elizabeth, think about her situation. She prayed for decades to have a child. And she continued to be faithful to the Lord. Her husband continued to be faithful to the Lord. And the Lord never answered the prayer. Day after day, week after week, decade after decade, And it finally happens. And she's not sure what to do. She can't tell anybody. She goes into seclusion for five months. Possibly wondering, is it going to actually happen? Will this take place? And then here comes Mary. No waiting. No praying. No struggle. No nothing. She just gets pregnant. And, and please forgive me for a moment. This is so carnal. This is so human. But Elizabeth just learned that she's going to have a special child. Mary's is specialer. <laughs> you get the forerunner, she gets Messiah. You get decades of nothing, she just instantly gets to have a baby. You would not blame her for maybe being just a little bit bitter. Maybe having just a little bit of resentment. And yet, none of it. You see none of it in her. All you see is, can I bless you? Not take my junk into this whole thing, but can I just bless you? Can I be there for you? 
can I even deny maybe something of myself so that I can bless you? Have you ever had to sacrifice time or maybe something you wanted for the sake of another person? Are we willing to do it? Are we willing to be that instrument? And do you know this? God can, does, wants to use you to bless other people. No matter what you may think of yourself, no matter what you may think you have to offer, God wants to use you as an instrument. Sometimes the church has weird views, and I want to share one with you. Did you know that until the 18th century, forks were not used for dining commonly? Not until that point. Why? For a number of reasons. But it starts out much before that. It's because you have hands, right? Why not eat with them? That's what most people did. And in fact, it was such a huge thing that there were right and wrong ways to eat with your hands. There's a book published in the 1500s on an etiquette for eating that has the three-finger rule. If you use three fingers to eat with, that's upper class. If you use five fingers, that's lower class. I mean, this whole thing. Not only that, forks were so rare that only rich people occasionally would have them, and they were basically not used for eating. And if they did have some, for example, King Edward I, he had thousands of knives, hundreds of spoons, and seven forks. Six of them were gold, one of them was silver, they weren't used for eating. Forks were just not used. They were sometimes, maybe, this might be legend, used to, like, fight one another with. <laughs> there was some, you know, sword play going on with forks. Thomas Becket, the archbishop in England, tried to introduce them to England, but nobody would take them on. They just didn't like forks. And here's one of the big reasons. The church believed they were sacrilegious. Because God gave us hands to touch the food that God gave to us and to put a fork in between us and the food was an artificial thing. Do you know how ridiculous the church is sometimes? <laughs> but the church has these weird ideas about what God does and does not do, about what God thinks and does not think, and unfortunately, sometimes we have them too. We think, what could God do with me? What do I have to offer? You have everything that the people around you do to offer. It's not about what we bring. It's about how open we are to what God will do. I guarantee you, when Mary showed up to talk to Elizabeth, Elizabeth did not plan this. Elizabeth was not thinking, someday the Holy Spirit's going to fill me. I'm going to feel this. It's gonna, the baby's going to leap in my womb. I mean, it's going to be awesome. But she was very much open to the work of God in her life. Will you be open to the work of God in your life? We are going to go through challenges. You all know this. You're all going through it. Sometimes those challenges come right along with a blessing of God in our life. And because we have all of the challenges, we need each other. 
We need people. We need to be willing to be vulnerable and ask for help. And we need to be willing to be the other, to do something for other people to make life better. I'm going to end with this story. There was a man named Deshreeth. He was an Indian, uh, from India, not in Native American Indians, from India. And he lived in a very poor village that was surrounded by large mountains. The nearest hospital or even clinic was about 35 miles away because you had to get around these mountains. At one point, his pregnant wife was taking either water or food to him. The story says both things. And she slipped and fell partway down one of these mountains. They could not get her to the clinic in time. And she died. And he decided in 1960... He didn't want anyone else in his village to ever have to go through that again. And so he took a chisel and a hammer and began constructing a road through one of the mountains to get to the clinic. As you can imagine, a little bit like Noah, the village made fun of him. Here he is, it's a mountain, he's got a hammer and a chisel, and he's out there trying to make a path through the mountain. They made fun of him. Over time, people threatened him. They threatened to arrest him a few times. He spent 22 years. And he built a 350-foot road, 30 feet wide, 25 feet tall, through the mountain that made the trip to the clinic, to schools, 10 miles instead of 35. He devoted his life to making the life of other people better. And at one point, some in the village began to help because he couldn't do it all on his own. And they made this road. What will you do with your life? He has been, he's remembered all over India. A movie's been made about him. What will you do with your life? We can, with God's help, overcome or go through mountains, especially for the sake of other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son who came to us when we needed help, who overcame things we could not have overcome on our own, who sacrificed his very life that we might receive the help we needed, the salvation of our souls. And today he says he still walks with us. He still does not leave us alone. Father, my prayer for each person here today is that we would, in our weakness, turn to our Savior and we would turn to our friends, our spouse, those that are closest to us, 
and be open and vulnerable and ask for help. And that on the other side, as much has been done for us by our Savior, that we would in turn seek to do things for others. Lord, make us a people that works together. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.